makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Chasha, I can do Chasha. Oh, I don't know if I'm a cocky little Akan Ompi. Oh, who topa, and I hope I'll be happy. Takos can scum Ompi killer now you are. My cocky little. I can't think of Takon or Echaki and Kehon or the hockey chill of money picked. My cocky little hockey love me, Moshikila. Hey, oh, hey, Jim. Then we will die. Betu Washtelo, Chante Washtena, Pages up yellow, lay unki piki he Washtelo. Leon Betu ki tanka na Washtelo, hola kota yellow. Oyate hona umpi ohola skati, we choni greetings and good day and welcome my relatives. I shake your hand with good feelings in my heart and my hand holds that heart. And the whole world is a beautiful day. It's good for all of us to be here. Let the people hear your voice respectfully and celebrate life. And this is First Forces Radio. I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And it's all native hosted, all native produced First Voices Radio now in its 28th year broadcasting. And Liz Hill is First Voices Radio's outstanding producer. And my name is Teokasen Ghost Horse, your host. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio org for archiving, and you can hear us internationally on Savizar Contemporary in Berlin, in Potsdam, Germany, 
Uh, and I'd like to thank you for being here for this long, for that many years. And this is the, the last day of the year, uh, practically, uh, tomorrow, December 31st. But yes, last uh, edition of First Voices in 2020. Um, you know, Peace with Earth 2020. Uh, it seems it didn't work out. People are still paying attention to only human peace rather than with Earth. Uh, we still have work, we have work to do. Well, our first guest is uh, Carly Moore, who is Lumbee, grew up on a family farm in southeastern North Carolina and, and serves as an associate program officer at the Native American Agriculture Fund in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And Carly has experience with family farm operations, youth-led food sovereignty initiatives, corporate agribusiness, international agriculture projects, and land grant institutions. And Carly has an undergrad degrees in chemistry and agricultural business management from North Carolina State University and master's degree in agricultural economics and international rural development from the University of Arkansas. And the more information you listeners can go to the Native American Agricultural Fund site at Native American Agricultural Agricultural it's, they started us all over again, Native American Agriculture Fund.org. And I'd like to welcome Carly to First Voices Radio this morning. Good good talking with you. It's an honor to have you, Carly. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to go to, you know, very inquisitive and very interested in what the, the Native Agricultural Fund, of course, is while we're doing the radio here. But when, I, when I'm going to the website, there's 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 quite a bit to read from about wow this is this is something new that we can re actually reimagine native food systems and have we have we gotten far that far away from it but first um uh, carly um what is this vision that you have for native food and and the infrastructure that sets up agriculture deemed as native from this land or anywhere actually uh maybe we'll start with that yeah, thank you for that question. The Native American Agriculture Fund is a new organization, but the movement for improving food systems in Indian country, of course, is as long as we've been here. Uh, and I just want to acknowledge that while we're new, we are joining lots of folks who have been working for lifetimes to make this happen. Uh, the vision of Native American Agriculture Fund and a lot of our partners in this space is food sovereignty. And for us, food sovereignty means that Native people have the means and the ability to choose their food destiny, uh, to choose the means of production, to choose what they're eating and how it's produced, and to have access to that food that is both sustenance but also medicine and cultural elements. Um, all of that combined, our ability to choose for ourselves what is right. Um, we are Native American Agriculture Fund, but of course we're representing people from across the nation from hundreds of backgrounds. And so for us, it's important that the local community, the tribal level, determine what does agriculture, what does food look like for them, and then how do we support that. Native American Agriculture Fund has the wonderful ability to invest in projects across the country. Uh, we have funds to make grants. The grant money comes from the Keep Siegel v. Vilsack Settlement. 
Native farmers and ranchers from across the nation in the 80s and 90s banded together to say that they were facing discrimination and lending practices from the USDA. And they took their battle to the courts and after a long, hard, hard fought battle, they won. And so now it's our job to make sure that we invest in community and systemic change so that folks can really recognize food sovereignty for themselves. When you say recognize food sovereignty for themselves, is that knowledge actually there or do you have it set up where uh, Native American Agriculture Fund comes in with workshops to maybe present them that their the, the knowledge is already existent within whatever region you're working with? Yeah, that's a good question. So we fund projects across the spectrum um, and people and tribes and organizations are at all stages. So we have some folks like my colleague from the Hopi Nation who is farming in the same manner that his ancestors before him did 10,000 generations, right? And then we have other people, maybe urban natives or those who've been relocated away from their homeland who need to get back in touch with what it means to farm and to produce food in their cultural tradition. Uh, we fund projects across that spectrum, from small to big, from land to oceans, rivers, forests. And our work is really centered in evaluating and making these investment decisions. And we support other organizations who have a longer track record in the communities, providing workshops, um, thinking about all aspects of the food and agriculture system, from culture and tradition to also business and nutrition and agronomy, so all aspects of it. And as a new organization, we're still figuring out what is our role and our place to play here. Uh, but we really like to highlight those organizations that we've funded already and who have long track records in the community. And that traffic track record, I think, would be um, when you think of, think about it, Carly, um, is when when people are saying, "Look, this this group, Native American Agriculture Fund, comes in," and that news not only passes through media but passes through the trust of word of mouth that Native people still have to this day. And then I think that's that's the backbone of who we are as Native people. So when when you come in with uh, sort of this economic opportunity, um, is it already set up that we have the, the infrastructure, as, as it said, or maybe it's under underappreciated, as you, as you say, as a resource, yet we, we do we do, uh, in other words, are, are we running into some mistrust of this is the newest and latest great Johnny-come-lately program that the U.S. or any outside entity coming into this reservation or this land of Native people and saying this is good for you? Do you run into that, that stickler? Yeah, I appreciate that question. I would say in terms of building trust, with the community. First, I, I like to point that we, no matter where we are as Native people, whether we're still on our homelands or in other areas or in urban locations, we were the first farmers of this continent. And so, in a way, that means that we're, we're not introducing something new. We're going back learning and appreciating what we've been doing. And now 
I can't blanket every tribe and custom under one, you know. Some folks are fishers and hunters, farmers, etc. But everybody has a connection to food and producing food in their cultural way. And so we, as an organization, are not coming in to say this is what you should do, X, Y, Z. We're saying, hey, what are you interested in? What have you been doing? How can we provide resources for you to scale that up, for you to involve more people? Uh, if you're interested, for you to make that into an economic development opportunity. So I think it's really important that as a national organization, Native American Agriculture Fund is really reliant on the local organizations that have the knowledge of that area and the trust of the people, and we come along and come beside to try to invest in those projects. Uh, it's not our place and it's not our desire to impose what should be. And so for that's part of that food sovereignty idea is that the people choose it for themselves, and that's going to look different in my homeland in Lumbee in southeastern North Carolina than it might in Alaska than it might in Hawaii. And it's really important for us when funding projects and organizations that they have that trust with the community, that there's involvement in the community, and that the vision is set from the grassroots level. I'm thinking here, um, Carly Moore, that, you know, I've been thinking, wow, this, in, in, as, as a result of, you know, the, the regional hubs that you're, you're featuring here is, and then we'll talk about that, the amount of self-sufficiency, because in the history, the studies of history of Native people that I know of, is that, wow, we were so, we were fiercely self-sufficient, so much so that, that we were, it was easier for us to give and share to fellow tribes, so to speak. And, and now, you know, the whole idea about a regional hub model, what does that look like? Yeah, and what you're bringing out here is something that we released just recently, a vision document. Our CEO, Janie Simship, and our communications director, Maria Givens, were instrumental in putting this together, this idea of what type of infrastructure would be needed to drive tribal food sovereignty in the U.S. And as you mentioned, a lot of it is based around regionality and going down to the core of where are the similarities geographically and in culture and how do we support production and processing and marketing and distribution on a regional level. So in the vision document, what's laid out is a, a proposal for a system of 10 regional hubs across the United States where producers in that area would have a viable market to bring their products, whether that be cattle, whether that be grain, or traditionally harvested products, fish, bring it to that place where it could be processed, value-added. Um, the USDA publishes statistics called the food dollar. And what the food dollar is, it says for every dollar you spend on a final food product, let's say a hamburger in a restaurant, how much of that goes to each stage of production? And Native American Agriculture Fund started with Native farmers and ranchers, so the people who are first in that chain, who are planting the seeds or raising the cattle, and that percentage that goes to production is very, very small. And so the idea is how do we capture more of the food dollar 
to invest in our local Native communities so that we have a more vibrant food economy, while at the same time having the ability to provide food for our communities. What happens a lot of times is that Native farmers and ranchers are producing, they raise up their crop, and then it's sold and it goes somewhere else and it feeds someone else. And then we look around and we see that we're in food deserts ourselves, that so we have chronic hunger in our areas. And the question is, how do we connect the food that we're raising to the people who need it in our community? And then also infuse some elements of what is nutritionally best and what is culturally best and what our preferences say. And so that's why we come with this idea of a regional model so that the Northwest can have their own outlook so that the Southeast can have its own outlook. But as you noted, the infrastructure currently is not there. Uh, I come from a cattle farm in southeastern North Carolina and when coronavirus hit earlier this year, meat was out of the store, but we couldn't find places to slaughter cattle to sell meat to people who were looking for it. There's just really not a great infrastructure model right now. And so one of the ideas is to have these tribally controlled, native-focused processing and production facilities across the U.S. so that native farmers and ranchers have a good option of where to sell their product and they capture more of the food dollar and then that food can drive into their local communities. And of course, when we have more than we need to feed ourselves, then we can trade with others. We're speaking with, we're speaking with Carly Moore, who is a Lumbee from North Carolina, serving as the Associate Program Officer at the Native American Agriculture Fund in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, Carly, when I'm thinking about, you know, the, the, the self-sufficiency and that we can take care of others if we take care of ourselves first, and that, that whole line that we usually get is how to, how to be native to each other. But when you talk about a uh, native food model, are there other cultures, so to speak, in America and even the world looking at uh, maybe this is the right model? I think one of the reasons why I was uh, interested in what you were doing because I had a friend um, that you met who referred you to this radio program because these are all other kind of, um, you know, let's say the gardens in Philadelphia um, and, you know, in the nationwide. And they're all youth-driven, so to speak. But when it comes to, you know, well, the old idea of going to the store to get what we want now seems because of the COVID virus is that now we, we don't really have to go large. We have to go small. In other words, we have our own gardens. And as you know, uh, there was more, more bounty, at least here in my garden up here, there was more bounty. Um, in other words, there was more uh, growth, more uh, to give, more to grow. It just it was just flourishing all over. I've I've heard that story. So is it the idea that we have to get bigger as Native people, but do we have to also pay attention to our traditional way of growing things so we we can ensure that there's enough and that we don't have to depend on the marketplace? Yes, and I think what you're highlighting there is the, the core value that I hold and that my organization, Native American Agriculture Fund, holds is that people should have choice. They should have the opportunity to make those decisions in line with their own values. And so for a lot of people, what the COVID-19 pandemic has shown us is that our food system 
is really unstable. When it works, it works, and there's food from all across the world and all seasons in your grocery store. But when there's a disruption, all of a sudden you start thinking really hard, if I couldn't get to the grocery store for a few days, what would I have to eat? And so for a lot of us, and especially our grantees that we saw, pivoted really quickly into activities, as you're mentioning, home gardens, community gardens, how to forage and how to preserve what you have for later. And a lot of our organizations that we support, we saw sending out seed packages and doing online tutorials on how to garden and how to preserve fruits that you are harvested in the forest. And all of that is really important. I think we also have to appreciate that not everybody can produce all of the food that they require. And so it is really important that we support full-time farmers and ranchers so that they can do their job in the best way that supports the environment and in the people and the economy. And between those two ideas, that we will be food secure. And of course, being food secure allows us to open up our lives and to, to think about what are other things that we want to improve. And so for me, the idea of food sovereignty is that we don't have to choose one way or the other, that each person, each community, each tribe decides what's best. Thank you for this, Carly. It's, it's really, um, I can hear friends listening to what you have to say. and. and throughout this, these areas, these 10 regions that you're talking about, these regional hubs, you know, just to know that that there is a variety of fruits and vegetables out there, which, and grains. Um, and when I'm thinking about, okay, so when COVID is finished, do people just go back to the same easy infrastructure that is laid out by the government? Or is this to establish, what I'm thinking is that, the Native American Agricultural Fund is to establish our own tribal, or I, I don't like the word tribal, but maybe our nations, each nations as we are indigenous peoples, to, to establish um, a permanent infrastructure for who we are, and as you say, to strengthen those food systems. And, and what, am, am I correct in saying that we are looking for actually the coordination um, um, actually to put this into to uh, a practicality a plan yes certainly and there and you know I think this is a great opportunity for me to highlight some other organizations who've been doing this work in the space and maybe from different angles so while Native American Agriculture Fund is really blessed to be able to invest in organizations and projects there's other organizations like the Indigenous Food and Agriculture Initiative who comes at it from a legal and policy aspect. And one of their big drivers is nations, sovereign nations, tribes, villages across the U.S. can make their own policies and make their own systems and doesn't have to rely on the state or the federal government to decide what happens with food and agriculture on their lands. And another organization I want to mention is the Intertribal Agriculture Council, who's really about providing technical assistance to both individual producers and tribal enterprises in the space of agriculture so that they can realize the best business and economic opportunities that they have. Uh, we also have to remember the idea of regenerative agriculture 
and investing long-term in the health of our soil and our water and our air and how growing food or herds of bison go hand-in-hand with the idea of environmental protection and sustainability. And when I'm looking at your website here, um, Native American Agricultural Fund.org, I'm looking at the map of what is the United States, uh, all 50 states here actually, Alaska in the west, the Pacific Northwest, Mountain, Southwest, Oklahoma, and Midwest, Upper Great Plains, Northeast and Southeast. Those people listening who are native, um, even if you're not native to, you know, maybe refer this website to your friend who is native so that they can look into it. And even if they're, they have never put their hands into the soil, for instance, into the earth, to let them, for me, in, in a spiritual way, the, the, the regeneration comes with the culture from that area that has been here long before this land was named, renamed America, actually. And uh, so when I think about that, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to, is that it, through the land, it's going to recreate, regenerate our culture. And that's kind of off top topic, but it's the base of, I think, why you're doing this. Certainly. And I think, you know, what what do we do every day? We breathe, but we eat. And every time we choose what to eat, we're making a decision about what we value. And so I encourage people to take whatever step is comfortable and approachable for them, whether that's starting a garden or just getting in touch with your traditional foods or reading up and learning more. Take that first step and then continue to go and learn more about what you're eating and how it's produced and how you can play a role in making sure that people are healthy and fed. So Carly Moore, say I grew up in the urban, in the city. I grew up there and I have no idea what land to go to, even how to put a seed in. And is that intimidating? I I think it would be because I hear it a lot from other people who just moved from a city to escape the the contagion going on presently in the United States. Seems a lot of people are moving from the cities to the land, so to speak, but they don't know how to get along with the land, so to speak. Have you heard or is there any examples of Native people of course, we have lost a lot of culture and our contact with that, and we sit behind computers and, in, in, in this case, in front of a studio console. And yet, I think it's multi-dimensional um, that that is inherent in all of us as humans, but especially Native people, is not to be afraid to go out, even to ask your, your organization, the Native American Agriculture Fund, for maybe a guidance. So I'm referring people to that Native American Agriculture Fund.org to go there and to get in contact with Carly and all the folks that are, are leading this organization. But I want to honor you and thank you for your words and your heart and your your energy and, you know, your enthusiasm out there. It makes me feel good to interview you and um, that we are speaking for the land first and foremost, at least I think so anyway, but I'd like to thank you. Is there anything I missed, Carly? No, thank you for this opportunity. And I I just want to pick up on one thing. You said it might be intimidating, but I just want to encourage people that whether you're from a farm like me or you've never been uh, in the dirt at all, that there's 
things that we can do. Just take appreciation for your food, and that will help you come into terms with what it means to really value food. Well, thank you once again. It's an honor to have you here, Carly. And maybe we'll talk to you or someone who has actually gone to your organization to get some help or support. But thank you for being here again, Carly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful year. You too. Thank you. That's right. That next year is, is in a couple of days. Yeah. Coming quickly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what happened to 2020? Let's have a redo. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, so thank you. Again, this is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasen Ghost Horse. And we're going to return to you in a minute or so. And I'd um, like to thank you for joining us this, this year. Actually, this year is, is, has been something, as you all know, and you're probably tired, tired of hearing about this year, you know, how bad it was or how good it was. But I always think about the earth, you know. It's like, hmm, was it bad for her? Maybe, maybe not, but let's not humanize the earth. But I think of her and, and old earth and a great respect for still giving us life, still giving us, you know, what is what is required of her in a sense that we still can drink water and eat the food um, and maybe look at how much she's balancing ourselves, our spirit, our minds, our, our bodies, everything that we're involved in here. So just just that little, little and I'm going to be back here in a, in a bit.
Yeah, that's music for the mother and uh, ancestral music from the Sierra de Sante, Mark de Santa Marte in Colombia. And that particular little cut was consciousness or the song of thoughts. And along the song of thoughts, I'm wondering, you know, what type of um, space is, is left here in, in the rest of this year, we can go with the Western thought of the Gregorian calendar or whatever calendar you use, you use out there. And those of you listening to native country know that radio stations around the world, radio stations um, now, especially because of the lack of computer usage in, yes, America, the Western world is only a bubble because the majority of the world still does not have computers, nor nor do should we say that they need computers to listen to um, podcasting. So, because that switch can be controlled anytime, anywhere, any place, but it may be a little more um, difficult, more resistant that we have radio stations um, talking to you live as community and community as, as you are out there. That means the earth. That means all the living living entities we call birds and even rocks and all things are sentient in the Lakota way and a lot of native people's ways. So I'm thinking about, well, what can I do to go on out here in the few minutes we have left here, the 25 minutes or so we have here on, on the last broadcast of First Voices Radio in 2020. And I'm thinking, well, next summer, you know, next summer the Wakaja what we call is a cotton tree or the cottonwood, that there is a story in the continuance of the cosmos that we, that we have in our creation stories as many Native people throughout the world. This is the, the stories that are given to children from the elders without computers, across the fire, um, outside, looking at the stars, feeling the earth, knowing the earth, breathing the earth, living the earth and having peace with the earth and that constant instruction of learning how to have peace with the earth. Um, because obviously, again, have I said this for how many decades that we haven't found peace on earth, which you all were sending cards to each other with, uh, peace on earth, and then we haven't found that because that comes out of a sort of a domination thought process, a domination thought process of uh, that we can control everything um, even our own lives, but as we know, things are getting a little out of hand because we're not paying attention enough to, to nature. So I'm going to tell this little story, or at least talk about this little story called Wakaja, which means um, cottonwood. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, that there was a star nation, and uh, it, it's not a Harry Potterish type of, how do you say it? 
it's not that uh, magic as you see on movies. It's actually something that has been handed down for hundreds of thousands of years here in the Western Hemisphere. And throw out all your concepts of time from from the West, uh, the Euro-Western way or that Western thought process that has, uh, you know, injected themselves into the West here and has forced us to speak your language as native peoples. And yes, we can understand your concepts, but it's difficult the other way around to try to understand languages that really don't give that much to a beginning and ending of a concept, subjective and objective. And those of you have listened to First Forces Radio have heard me say these things for many of years. Um, um, I want to tell this story in light of that I will be playing a, a an original uh, song here from the latest uh, Ghost Horse Akantu origin series, origin series that will be playing and I'll be playing track four of Momentum. And it's recorded live at National Sawdust um, a few years ago, actually, October 12th. But first, this story here, just to just to keep it clear and not confusing, because I tend to do that to a lot of people, because I talk in metaphors and sort of poetically and not enough fact-filled and uh, standardized to that default thinking of the West, you see. Um, so we'll go with how it is for Native people using this language called English. So in that continuance of the cosmos, there was a star nation, who wanted to help humans understand what they had lost with Earth. To who wanted to help humans understand what they had lost with Earth. So the humans in their cleverness developed a lost language and continued to progress in such a way the language promoted loneliness, alienation, and ineptness with Earth. And they hoped to find their way with the cleverness of religion and government and science and technology. And the human progress began to draw them even further away from themselves. And they rationalized they were on the verge of great discoveries and pulled the rest of humanity into the lost language. And so the star nation wanted to get the human's attention and show them an understanding which spoke of origins of the cosmos. And they sent representatives and eventually the beauty of the star nations became, became a love for a woman a love for a woman who wanted to go with the stars before they left the world. And she became the woman who fell from the sky, which you will hear throughout many native nations here in North America and maybe others. And so this woman who fell from the sky uh, yet uh, fell in love with the stars, and yet some star nations were reluctant to return to the cosmos, but knew for other planets and life to survive, they had to return as a guide for all. And so the star nation began their return, but there was one little star who wanted to stay among humans. And because there, they, there would be no one to help them understand. So the little star requested and requested and eventually all returned to the cosmos except for this one star. And the, the star nation decided that little star could not intervene with human affairs and their search for origins, and as a reminder, an infinite understanding of where eternal wisdom and knowledge remain. So little star would reside within a cottonwood tree, or akaja, as we call it in Lakota, which is the center tree of the understanding and knowledge ceremony for the Lakota. 
and Star Nation would place Little Star within a young Wakaja too. To, to this day, the cottonwood tree sends reminders out into the winds to prepare for the origin of understanding. And the cotton balls float with this, within the spring with the prayers of the winds to prepare for the origin of understanding. In the cotton balls, they hold prayers of the star nation, especially during the spring, when all life comes forth with the secrets of the universe. And uh, that is Wiwang Wachipi, or the sun dance, is a ceremony of the Lakota, carrying on the dancing into being of the little star who remains among humanity, ready to help. And uh, these things I say because when you are looking at a sapling and you cut the sapling and you see, you see the star within that sapling of the cottonwood tree, that is the pattern of that little star and the thought that I just gave to you in this small story. And that, that secret is there to know that, that as humans, a lot of our life is contained within the consciousness and intelligence of other life forms, such as trees. And uh, you can go from there, like say, well, how is that happening? It doesn't think, but yet it gives us the air to think. You see, that's how much we are related. That's why we say Mindakoya Oyasi. I'd like to just say that much. And um, and this uh, CD that I'm going to be playing now, the cut would be Momentum. And it's about a 10-minute piece in Prov. And it was it was uh, given to you with several several other musicians that I have here. It would be Dave Egdris, who's on cello. Charlie Buckland, who plays bass and 12-string guitar, and uh, the hammered dulcimer and, and other uh, percussion is um, is a Paul Paul Moeller, Juba, they call him. And uh, we sat in the National Sawdust um, on this origin series back then at the Contu and recorded this. And uh, I happened to go among my files and wondered where this was in and it came up, and it was beautifully recorded. And uh, we have this being here, and it's called the Kantu, <clears throat> which means Earth Man or Earth Mind, and the being from the ancient future now. And that's all in the word, a Kantu, a Kantu, and a Lakota verb, right? At, <clears throat> excuse me, a Lakota verb for the motion of being from the consciousness and intelligence of the water, the fire, the earth, the winds, and all that is sentient, which is everything seemingly possible, when every moment begins in innocence with, without the new concept, without the guilt concept, or constructs tied to cause and effect. Lakota being is a language without nouns. I'm giving this to you to listen to, and perhaps when I finish, I'll give you how to maybe find reference to this CD. The CD is called A Ghost Horse, a Kantu origin series. It, uh, it's here, and finally I was waiting for it, and it'll deepen us in the connection with ourselves rather than the numbing and escapist music of today's era. I know we have to get real, and part of that is, is listening to music, which is a consciousness. So I'm going to go right ahead and just play this for you and hope you appreciate it 
right? Again, a kantu, this is momentum. Um, I think F sharp.
And that's called Momentum by the band called Ghost Horse, a Kantu origin series where I play the flute. Charlie Buck- Buckland is uh, the gu- guitar and bass. Paul Muller is the hammered dulcimer and percussion. And uh, Dave Edgar, a well-known cellist, is uh, we're all playing in Paul- improv that night origins. Um, it was uh, recorded at the National Sawdust Live in 2017. So I promised I'd give you that website to go and look at it. And maybe at this time, after your holidays are finished, that you would really appreciate Native music because uh, this century requires Indigenous thought in order to get us all back into the rhythm with Mother Nature. And um, so I'm going to give it to you. This is Teokasin dot hear me or hear now dot com teokasin ghost horse t-i-o-k-a-s-i-n ghost horse dot hear now dot com and slash a-k-n-t-u and if you just go that far it will take you right to where you can look up the and even listen to the tracks um, so I'm going there and uh, if you can Give it a world, right? There's other tracks on her that are called Invitation and Requests and uh, Origins and uh, Spiritual Logic. Those are the releases that Ghost Horse has this year. Um, so I'm going to give that to you, and we're going to go to some more Native music. And it's really begun, been good being with you. Thank you. 